How's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 282 of X Lapsed, where today we're going to be getting to the midway point in one of our two ongoing X-Men event miniseries things. Um, and uh, this one, yeah, you know, we might talk a little bit about truth and advertising, because we're supposed to be talking about a trial here, I think. <laughs> At least that's what the title tells us. Um, yeah, not, not so much of a trial, uh, as we're about to find out. And uh, actually, the title character here, uh, Magneto, really kind of a non-issue. He's on the cover, yeah, he's got a scene, but uh, it really ain't about him all that much. He's basically a passenger in his own book here. It reminds me of a few years ago when the X-Men were basically passengers to S.H.I.E.L.D. in their own book. Let me explain. Today, we're talking about X-Men, The Trial of Magneto number 3, which had a December 2021 cover date. Now, just saying the title of this story here makes me feel so much more intelligent. Uh, the story is called Schrodinger's Corpse. And I don't know about you, but anytime I'm able to invoke the name Schrodinger, I feel like my IQ jumps like 40 points. <laughs> feels so intelligent. Uh, written by Leia Williams with art by Lucas Wernick and David Messina. Colors Edgar Delgado. Letters VCs Clayton Cowles. Designs Tom Muller. Head of X. Still Hickman. I don't know how much say he has in any of this anymore, but uh, he gets the credit. Uh, edits, Andrus Belasteros, Amaro, Thomas, White, and Sabolski. A lot of editors here. Cover price, four bucks. This one went on sale October the 20th of 2021. And uh, if you're looking at the real cover to this one, I, I don't know how many variants it went, this one got. I always order the real, quote-unquote, cover. It's a nice one. It's pretty cool. It's got Magneto holding, like, the scales of justice, which makes you think that there's a trial going on. Uh, and on one side, it's his helmet. On the other side, it's the Scarlet Witch's uh, headpiece. It looks really cool. It's very striking. It would make a nice uh, nice piece of, like, wall art. Anyway, we pick up right where we left off last time. Uh, Wanda is back, and she's embracing the Vision. Now, Viz says something about how he's still mourning the loss of his wife. And I'm going to assume that this is a reference to that series that Tom King is still coasting from. From like a half a decade ago uh, Now this trips Wanda out a bit Pretty much confirming that she's not quite current year The Avengers all stand around like holding their heads Wondering what in the hell they're witnessing here But this is cut short by a thunderous vibration You see, off somewhere else on the island Northstar has punched Magneto pretty damn hard It's like a Dragon Ball Z fight here And he did so because Magneto uh, dared to threaten Kyle Jean-Paul warns that uh, he's been enhanced since the last time they'd crossed paths, which I, I, don't, I don't remember that. Maybe it happened while I was away. Anyway, he threatens that if Magneto ever threatens his husband again, he'll kill him or something, which, I mean, that's adorable, right? 
Uh, Jean-Paul then heads back toward, I don't know, maybe the Boneyard? I thought the Boneyard fell last issue. Uh, I think it also falls again this issue. I, I, I don't know. Anyway, Kyle has him announce that dinner's about to be served and that the Avengers are more than welcome to join them. Cap then asks how Kyle could possibly think about food right now, to which Jean-Paul, with a nauseating, chuckle-headed smirk on his face, replies that, uh, well, Kyle is human. But, um, but isn't Captain America human too? I mean, Iron Man's there too, he's a human. No, okay. Double-page spread of roll call and cred our characters include The Scarlet Witch, Wiccan, Speed, North Star, Prestige with the Roll Eyes, Magneto, Cyclops, Captain America, Iron Man, Vision, and Quicksilver, who I'm pretty sure doesn't even get a single line in this issue. Anyway, back to comics, where Wanda is introduced to her sons, who naturally she does not remember. Wiccan deduces that she is both not their mother, but is also the Scarlet Witch. Hey, it's uh, that whole Schrodinger thing, isn't it? Now, it's as though she is from the past, is what he says here, which, duh. Confused, Wanda turns to Magneto and calls him Daddy. So, yes, yeah, she is uh, unaware of Marvel's anti-mutant temper tantrum from the 2010s. Lucky lady. Uh, worth noting, Wanda doesn't appear to have the foggiest idea who or what Wiccan and Speed are, right? So it's not that she doesn't recognize them as being adults or young adults. She doesn't know them from a hole in the wall. So we might assume that this ancient Cerebro backup from which Wanda was brought back as uh, might be from before the end of Vision and the Scarlet Witch, Volume 2, Number 12, where she, you know, had them, right? <laughs> I don't know. It's like nothing like making an already overly complicated character even even more so, right? I don't know. Now, at this point, Rachel and Jean have a telepathic chat about all of this, uh, mostly to clear things up for the slower among us, you know, those of us in the, the back row of the classroom. Uh, this is Wanda, right? That is confirmed, but it's a Wanda from an old backup. Duh. Now, as we learned an issue or two ago, Wanda and Pietro were able to fool Cerebro into taking backups up until whatever nebulous time it was clarified that they weren't actually mutants. I think that actually happened around the time of Uncanny Avengers, so post-AVX. But I think we're kind of wibbly-wobbly with that right now, because if we're going back to pre-Avengers you know, Avengers West Coast, it's, <laughs> it's a long time ago, isn't it? Anyway, the Grey Gals uh, decide to fill in the Scarlet Witch's memory gaps by dropping in some of her greatest hits back into her mind. And these hits include uh, a very nice recreation of John Byrne's Avengers West Coast number 56 cover. And this is when, like, Wanda, like, cut her hair off and turned evil for a minute. The next memory is from uh, Avengers Disassembled, where she was revealed as being the big bad during Bendis' initial, you know, salvo lobbed at the Avengers. Uh, we also have Wanda saying no more mutants, because of course we do. And finally, we have Wanda producing that scepter or wand, which I think we saw happen in the Empire cash-in, where she raised all those zombies from uh, Genosha. Then, just as things are getting interesting, a bunch of kaiju burst out of the water? The hell? Uh, I, I guess we gotta fill five issues somehow. Uh, Northstar asks Cyclops for permission to take the lead on this. So I guess this story occurs before Scott surrenders his spot as Captain Commander in Inferno. And uh, for whatever reason, well, probably since this was supposed to be an X-Factor story to begin with, Scott gives him the thumbs up, and he says that he'll rally the rest of the captains to serve as backup. 
The Avengers and several mutants join John Paul, and Wanda is told to stay behind. Wiccan and Speed take her by the hand. Then, for the next 85 pages, the heroes fight giant monsters. Monsters that seemingly cannot be killed. Then, info page. Sorta. It's that, uh... Those, like, chaos magic-looking symbols, right? Um, it's a two-page spread, too, so we gotta kill extra pages here. We got one side that are all, like, clocks and symbols and arrows. We've seen this before. Then on the other side, it's like a ransom note mishmash of conflicting fonts, and it reads, Spin the wheel. Though, honestly, these awful fonts make it look as though it says, Open the wheel. And, and you know, I, I wouldn't put money on either one at this point. From here, I think we're back in Limbo, or wherever the hell Wanda Prime is being held. We saw her, you know, over the past couple of issues. Now, she's being chased by that cloaked figure, the white-cloaked figure. And like any good horror movie starlet, she trips over her own feet. She then manifests a great big axe and goes to swing it, but it's no use. The cloaked figure then removes its hood to reveal... (sighs) Uh, old Lady Wanda. Can, can we please stop with this, like, old man, old lady shtick? I mean, this worked once, exactly once, with Logan. Do we need... I mean, it's, it's even infected DC with the Harley crap. Can we not do this? Anyway, this is where we leave it. Next episode, we get to the midway point of that other <laughs> big crossover... Not crossover, but miniseries event in the X-Books... With Inferno number two. Alrighty, so let's talk about this um, odd mishmash of a chapter here. First, let's discuss the concept of the triple goddess. This is something out of neo-paganism, which I think we are um, kind of leaning on here to tell this story. Now, the triple goddess is a triunity of three distinct aspects or figures united in one being. Now, they're often described as the Maiden, the Mother, and the Crone. Which, I mean, that's pretty self-explanatory for this story, right? We have the Maiden in young Wanda, who is fresh-faced and unsullied, and uh, really is just, you know, a wide-eyed ingenue, right? We got the Mother, who is, I guess we could say Wanda Prime, uh, the Wanda that is in limbo right now. She is literally a mother, right? She has all this baggage. She's, you know, she is the middle portion of this life. And now we've been introduced to old lady Wanda, which is uh, the crone. So pretty self-explanatory. Now, if we continue down this path, um, there's also a male consort to the triple goddess concept. And it's described as being a horned god. And this might be where I stretch the analogy a bit, but um, all but one of those kaiju were horned. So um, that could be something. And, and, I mean, there's a ton of reading one could do on the Triple Goddess concept. Uh, it's linked to so many things, uh, classical literature, folklore, and even relatively modern Jungian uh, psych theory. But I don't think we need to go too deep, at least not yet, because, um, I mean, this is just a theory, and for all I know, we're about to get two issues of, uh, you know, silly time travel gimmicks with old lady Wanda, like, driving a ramshackle motorcycle across the desert wasteland fighting off baby hulks or something. That very well could be it. Um, 
Now let's talk about the story itself here and the unfortunate and inconvenient timing of its uh, release alongside Inferno, right? I feel like it suffers quite a bit coming out at the same time as Inferno because Inferno is most definitely happening after this. And as such, it kind of takes the wind and urgency out of the sails of this story, doesn't it? Um, I mean, it's pretty clear here that Magneto is not going to be sentenced to the whole, right? Uh, And as I mentioned, you know, the trial of Magneto title almost borders on false advertising at this point. Not something we can hold against Leia Williams, as, uh, you know, she initially had this penciled in as an Arkin X factor. The blame for this, you know, falling laughably short falls squarely to editorial and marketing. Now, speaking of urgency, right, this is supposed to be a huge deal. The Avengers don't seem all that concerned with everything that they're seeing here, do they? They're just kind of taking it in stride, and they're like, oh, this is weird. And I mean, we've seen the Avengers turn on the X-Men for far less than this in the past, right? We've had entire years' worth of stories (laughs) based on the Avengers fighting the X-Men or not trusting the X-Men. And here... They're kind of just taking it. It's, uh, I don't know, it just, it feels very uneven. Adding to that feeling of unevenness here, uh, eating up the entire middle portion of the issue with a kaiju fight? Well, that seems kind of (laughs) cheap. Unless, of course, it's heading somewhere, which I'm not convinced that it is. It felt like just a way to have the heroes kind of take their eyes off the prize for a bit. But again, I mean, we know that Inferno's occurring after this. And since nobody in that book has mentioned that the island was destroyed by Godzilla and friends, we gotta assume that this will be mostly or largely a non-issue. Plus, I mean, all the heroes are, like, basically setting up, like, one last offensive against these critters. And timing is everything, right? Because they're saying these, these, these monsters are unkillable, what are we gonna do, the island's gonna sink, yada yada yada. But... Like, the Avengers just dealt with the Phoenix, like, five minutes ago. So sea serpents shouldn't be any big deal compared to the Phoenix, right? I don't know. Um, Let's talk art. Uh, Lucas Wernick, he was the originally solicited artist. It would appear as though he took both the beginning and the end of this issue. So the character-heavy stuff. Wanda's return, the Avengers reacting to Wanda's return... North Star versus Magneto, and then the ending with Wanda being in limbo, facing off against the crone, right? David Messina seems to have taken the rest of the book, so the kaiju big battle, right? Definitely feels like two different stories competing to feel, fill the same space, and it makes me wonder if the kaiju deal was a last-minute addition to fill this thing out, or if it's something that editorial felt they needed in order to establish... Something happening later, you know, whatever they're wanting to do with Wanda here. Overall, it's just a very disconnected feel, both in story and in art. Can't blame anybody for it, though. This is just uh, like a snake-bit book. Wildly unfortunate timing. We got Hickman leaving, everybody scrambling. It feels like this is just a story they're cramming in and trying to make a few extra bucks off of by having it as a quote-unquote Trial of Magneto miniseries. It kind of reminds me of Planet Size X-Men in that it may wind up being, consciously or otherwise, in the eyes of an, you know, analyst or a fake-ass comics reviewer, a a victim of the hype that Marvel put around it. You know, uh, you see 
a solicit for the trial of Magneto, you expect something. You know, it sets an expectation for what the story is going to be, what it's going to look to accomplish, and what may potentially, uh, you know, come out the other end. That's not what we're getting here. That's certainly not what we're getting here. Um, And it's unfortunate. It really is unfortunate, because at the end of the day, it's not a bad story, but it certainly falls short of the uh, projected (laughs) mission statement, right? Again, no fault of the creative team. Any, you know, feelings that this is falling short, that that falls squarely on the shoulders of uh, those at a higher pay grade, right? Anyway, I think that's all I have to say about this issue. How about we hop into the mailbag, where we have a letter from Evan talking about Way of X number 5. Now, Evan says, Wow, although I'd been impressed with Spurrier's work on this series, in the back of my mind I was skeptical about how they would handle the Respect This Sacred Land bit. I mean, Kill No Man is loaded, even without all the asterisks for X-Force and Aliens and AIs, and Make More Mutants, we saw, wasn't a black-and-white proposition either. But were we going to see Nightcrawler staking out litterbugs or making sure Blob properly disposes of waste at the Green Lagoon? No. Spurrier saved what seemed to be the least interesting and controversial law for the most dramatic part of the story so far and knocked it out of the park. I agree. Uh, Evan continues, The revelation that Onslaught is gaining powers from the bits of self lost between death and resurrection not only works great from a story perspective, it also suggests that the resurrectees really are more than just clones with a memory backup. If Onslaught's gaining power, then those missing bits have to come from somewhere, the soul or whatnot. And you know, um, that is an awesome point, which I didn't even consider until right this second. Uh, the implication there, as Evan you know, put it, if, if Onslaught is taking bits from the in-between portions here, the, you know, the time from the last backup to the death, that would imply that there is more to these resurrectees than just, uh, you know, computer parts and uh, downloadable memories and gold ball husks. It would imply that there is something more, and uh, hey, it could very well be the soul. How about that? Uh, Evan continues... It could change everything we know about Krakoa, but you're right, this book isn't front and center enough to do that, which is a shame because its themes are central to this new status quo. This should be the flagship book, but while it may not be, nor have the lasting effects it should, that doesn't diminish one heck of a story. And once again, I totally agree. Um, These themes, as you said, and as I said uh, during that episode, these are central to what the X-Men now live, right? This is all the core stuff that really should have been fleshed out in a flagship book. And instead, we got, you know, these odd, you know, X-Men Unlimited-feeling one-offs in the flagship book. And the all the world-building has been kind of relegated to the other books here. And Way of X, a spectacular book. A wonderful book, one of my favorites from the time we started this project. Uh, even with that said, I have to admit that it is a second or third tier book. You know, uh, this isn't going to have the readership of an X-Men or of a Wolverine or of an X-Force. This is not going to have the far-reaching import, which, I mean, the next issue of Way of X isn't called Way of X. <laughs> you know, that just goes to show how little faith... 
uh, no pun intended, Marvel had in Way of X. I mean, the next part, they didn't even bother to call it, like, Way of X colon the Onslaught Revelation. Instead, it was X-Men, the Onslaught Revelation, which, as we talked about during that episode, is, (laughs) like, bait, you know? And I talked about how unfair it would be for someone to see that on the rack and jump into it with, like, oh, I remember Onslaught, and then getting chapter six of a story that they didn't read the first five parts of. And, you know, just like we talked about today with The Trial of Magneto, that's an editorial fault, right? That's something with marketing. That's it's unfortunate. It's very unfortunate. Uh, Evan continues, As for The Spark, I think that might turn out to be none other than Fabian Cortez, shown in two books now to be possibly the least reformed and least deserving of a second chance among Krakoa's more villainous residents, he might just be the key to its salvation. And this is going to sound very weird, but I honestly don't remember who or what the spark was. Wow, has it really been that long since we read that book? I Maybe someone can fill in my memory gaps here. I really... Maybe I was resurrected um, from an earlier, an earlier backup. I just... Do not remember, for the life of me, what the spark was. Huh. Anyway, <laughs> thank you so much for writing in on uh, Way of X number 5, Evan. This was a wonderful series, and it's unfortunate that it's gone, but I am certainly looking forward to Spurrier's next stint on uh, Legionaries, which, uh, with all the shipping delays we've got, um, may you know drop into our laps Sometime next summer? I I don't know. Fingers crossed it comes sooner than that. I really haven't the foggiest idea. But that will do it for the mailbag. Right now, let's hop into the shout-out section where I thank the folks on social media for sharing and engaging with the posts about this program. Over on Twitter, I want to thank Jesse DeYoung, 21st Century Boys, Jeremiah, Daniel Navasunde, uh, Andrew and Belfast, Dave Schultz, Joe Crawford, Billy D, Ed Moore, the All-Star Squadron Podcast, Chris at BTO and Bat Books, Longbox Crusade, Jason Colby, Al Sedano, and Chris Lydon. Over on Facebook, I want to thank Jesse D. Young, Jeremiah, Al Sedano, Walt Neeland, Andrew Franklin, and Billy D. Over on Instagram, I want to thank FC Guy Cruz, Joe Crawford, I Am Black Panther, Mark Jagger, The Ghost of Zeon, Justin Ian Capone, John 316 Comics, and The Positive Fan. I tell you, it's nice to get a little bit of engagement on Instagram. I don't know if it's resulted in a single <laughs> new listener, but it's it makes me feel good if someone you know clicks the little heart or... Is it a heart? I don't know. A heart or a thumbs up or whatever it is on Instagram. Anyway, while we're thanking folks, let's hop over to the patrons at patreon.com slash xlapsed. I want to thank Andrew Franklin, Ed Moore, Walt Nealon, Jeremiah, Jason Colby, The Scary Stuff Podcast, Jesse DeYoung, Damien, Peter McPherson, Mark Jagger, Herman, and Andrew at Belfast. As always, your support means the absolute world to me, so thank you so much. Now, before we cut out of here, we do have a little bit of news. Well, we have one news item. To which I have a question for y'all. Uh, who's ready for the next big X event? <laughs> yeah, even though we haven't finished the two we're currently reading, right? Who's ready for it? Yeah, I'm not either, but here we are. Now, amid all of the shipping delays and not knowing when the next slew of books will actually be hitting the shelves, well, Marvel's already announced the next big X-Men event. And it's called Destiny of X, and it's happening allegedly in spring of 2022. 
The hype piece is, uh, get this, a mostly blank quote page, which reads, There is no the future. There is no destiny. And that quote is attributed to Irene Adler, Destiny. And while we know absolutely nothing but this, um, I gotta say, nothing quite takes the wind out of my sails as a comic book fan than a Marvel hype piece. (laughs) I mean, it does the exact opposite of what it should do. Um, I mean, I've been looking forward to the post-Inferno launch, right? I, I think we all have been, because... Over the past several months, it's been kind of a lame duck period. We're just treading water, getting to the point where Hickman can finish his version of the story under under all these editorial fiats and clashes with the rest of the creative team, the rest of the X-Men brain trust or whatever. And he's, I might be projecting here, but it seems like he's doing the best he can to tell whatever bits of the story that he originally had planned from the get-go. And here we find out that we're going to be jumping right into another event. At least, uh, you know, again, I don't know what this is. Maybe it's an event. Maybe it's the next phase. Maybe it's like Dawn of X, Reign of X, Destiny of X, right? Or or maybe it's an event that'll come out of the, the next event that we have, the X Lives and X Deaths of Wolverine. And I mean, it's it's event after event after event. And, and if this is, in fact, an event, you know, I hate to be the hot take guy, right? We don't know anything about this. I just can't get excited for it. Um, not only because, you know, we've been just bombarded with events for the past several months and going into the next few months with the uh, Wolverine thing. I also worry because Destiny seemed to be a very pivotal part in the story that Hickman wanted to tell. Right from the very get-go, from you know House of X number two was it with uh, the many lives and deaths of Mora X. Destiny was a part of that issue where she told Mora that she had ten or eleven lives. It was clear from the get-go that Destiny was very important. And then we find out that Destiny was not allowed to come back as she's a precog, and then we're seeing some precogs come back. So it seems like more of a personal thing against Destiny. Then we have Mystique doing all the dirty work for Magneto and Charles with the promise that Irene's going to be brought back and she's not brought back. Then we have the burn it down stuff. It's very clear that from Jump Street, Hickman had designs on Destiny. And, well, he's not going to be there to tell the Destiny of X story, which really, you know, fair or unfair, it tempers my expectations for what this might be. Because... You know, Hickman had a plan, and and for better or worse, he was seeing it through, and that's what brought us to this dance, right? The entire Hoxpox story is what brought us here. It's what got us excited. It's what has been keeping us reading, even though we've been treading water for most of the past couple of years now. And to have a story or an arc or a phase in her namesake after he's already left the books, I don't know. Fair or unfair, my, you know, excitement level is... uh, Well, not at an all-time high, let's just say. But uh, I look forward to hearing anybody's thoughts, anybody's hot takes on Destiny of X. Do you think it's a story? Do you think it's a phase? What say you? I would love to hear your thoughts. And uh, hey, if you have any thoughts about this or anything else, please feel free to find me, reach out, and say hello, all that good stuff. You can find me on Twitter at Ace Comics. You can find me on Instagram at 90sxmen. You can shoot an email over to weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com, or you can call into the X-Lapsed voicemail hotline at 
623-396-JERK. For blog posts and show notes, you can head to chrisoninfinitearths.com. You can join us on Facebook at 90sXmen. The complete audio archives are available at chrisandreggie.podbean.com. you find that anywhere you find noise, podcasts, and uh, all other good stuff on the Internet. And finally, for more stuff, exclusive content, behind-the-scenes, yada, 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 you can join us at Xlapsed on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash xlapsed. But I think that's about all we've got for today. I'd like to thank you all so much for sharing your ears. And uh, until next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya.